you have decided to realize a, a new product release of a certain thing. And you need something to do that from a third party. You make a contract with that third party. Would you accept any uncertainty? No, you would not. That guy will have the, the, the knife on the throat to deliver what we promised that, he, that we need. And at a certain day. And this is also what happened in automotive. Right? It was the whole, the suppliers, they have to deliver. They have to promise exactly this is what you will give you on that date. This you cannot do if you have uncertainties. You cannot. Because then you are a gambler, right? So when you, you promise things, then, then you, you will die as a company. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Last week, we had part one of our continued discussion on portfolio management and the three pillars of portfolio management. And hope you've been enjoying this uh, this discussion with Hoop Bruden. And welcome back to part two today, where we'll just pick up where we were in the middle of our conversation. So hope you're all doing well, and thanks for joining us again. Here we go with part two. So Hoop, let's go to data, because you mentioned it quite a bit. Let's cover that for, for a few minutes in the framework of process and governance. Yeah. If you want to do portfolio management, the first thing your database should have as data is the navigation system, as we discussed earlier. So what are your targets? If you don't have target data quantified in the database, you cannot visualize the gaps between what you're doing and your targets, or that you over-target here and under-target somewhere else. That could be for many, and the targets is important. So those data, as well as the data that you have of about what you're doing, the status data. Mm -hmm. And then the data that are, I think, most important are financial data, of course, which come in the end from business case calculations and from revenue estimations and CAPEX, OPEX data, the data that you, the cost that you spend, production data, and so on, right? So you have financial data. And the financial data, they are key. Revenue estimations, for sure. Because the revenue estimations, if you accumulate them, they give you the value, the financial value of your pipe. So if you have a portfolio of investments, then that pipe of future products you bring to the market, that pipe has to have a value. And that, that value that is, is in the first, in the first instance financial is related to estimated revenue. We can talk a lot about estimations and how it works and this and that and such and so, but that's yeah. not for today. But you need to have the financials, yeah. that's for sure. Both at the target level as at the estimated level. Revenue side, cost side. That is a must a must have. And you need to have that over a timeline. So so it's the data that you have are not like static. No. The estimates are over a timeline, but also they change over a timeline. Sure. So you have sure. so That's you should gross. yeah yeah you should you should see the changes that you did during yeah. your development about your estimations. It might be that your estimations go down. It might be right. so if you have a project of three, four years, of course the circumstances change, what you find out will change and so on. And then so and those estimations can also change. And one of the experiences that I have is that the estimations in the beginning of a project are more optimistic than uh, at the end. So if you go, uh, the closer you come to, to the launch, then the more realistic they are. 
and the more input you have from launch customers and all that, you know. So, so that is an important. The second thing that I think is um, the risk indicators. So, so the risk indicators are are mostly used to adjust the estimations that you have. So you have risk-adjusted estimations on your finance. And if we are very much in the beginning, when the portfolio is in the front end, it's all uncertain. However, if we would go to the realization phase, right, where we have no uncertainties anymore, then those estimations should be solid. And the risks that we have to not around those realizations, they should be very, very low. If they are still there, you're still gambling with the money. You're still gambling with the expectations of the market. So that's why I always make a, a caesure between the front end and the realization end so that we, once we decided to realize that we don't have those uncertainties, don't have those risks anymore. On the other hand, the world does not stand still, so there will be risks. The competition is doing things and so on and so on. And there might be a new invention coming somewhere. So there will be always an estimation of, of, of uh, the risk indicators. You also have to, at the beginning, you do the feasibility scores. At the end, you should not have feasibility scores in the month because you're doing it. The other thing that I think is important for uh, the market of today is the data that you need around sustainability. So, so you have scorecards for that, sustainability, the 12 green principles or the estimations as, as required by the United Nations or whatever, there are more models for that, carbon footprint calculations and so on. And, and the other thing is the digitization. If products, very much physical digital products, of course, but also production, the digitization is such a competitive uh, thing at the moment in the market that if you if you don't, uh, let's say, have a plan to digitize and you don't have your targets clear about digitization around your products and your new products, then it is difficult to do portfolio management. So in portfolio management, you can have, for instance, a conflict of interest between, hey, for competitive reasons, we need to bring now really digital products to the market, but the other ones, the, the less digital ones are better for our revenue. So you have that kind of conflicts of interest where you have to take right. strategic choices and that's not so easy to, it's not, not easy to do, right? But it is the job of portfolio management, isn't and it? And that is that the job is of the portfolio job. management. You know, how yeah. do you, so you have a target for sustainability, you have a target for, for finance and, and, and you have, have a target for the smartness of your, of your products. And, but there might also might be a target, not a target, a must do because of regulations. New regulation, a must do because you have to serve a certain region and you have tens of categories there, decision-making categories there. Around these things, you should have the data in the database. So the re regions, uh, brands, competition, uh, risks, finance, sustainability, digitizations, those are, I think, the, is the data structure that you need around your innovation where you also have to make sure that you know that the database knows the difference between features because a lot of development costs go into features, new features, then the new product. For some companies, the new systems that they compose with the products so that you, that you really can distinguish. So you have a portfolio in the end of products and systems, they go to the market. But there is also a portfolio of features going on 
to feed those new products. And so you need to prioritize those in relation to the products that have a business case. A feature does not have a business case calculation. They try sometimes, but it's very difficult. Yeah. So the financials around that. So I hope I made clear a little bit about what are the data that you need. Yeah. You did. You did. And one of the things that I think is the trickiest part of it is the what I'll call the state of maturity of that data because it changes. I, I looked at uh, some, some customers who were doing uh, the impact data or the sustainability data, whatever you, you like to call it. And early on, it is qualitative. And later on, it's quantitative. When I say early on, in the life cycle of developing a product. And I think it's the same with all that data, the financial data you, you mentioned. Early on, less accurate. Later on, well-known. Achievability or feasibility. Early on, maybe, you know, we're still a lot of unknowns. Later on, we're pretty sure we can build this. We can create this, right? So this, you've got this portfolio and, and, and a lot of it is maybe less mature the data. Mature maybe is not the right word, but less evolved. And some of the products you're looking at in your portfolio, what others are further on and it's more accurate, right? So you have to blend that, don't you? Well, that is a maturity thing. I don't advise to have one portfolio wherein you both have the front end and the back end, the realization end. Yep. There is a portfolio of what we have decided we do it. And there is a portfolio of things we are working on the uncertainties of it. And, and once we are mature enough, we perhaps then decide to put it from one portfolio to the other. So you have the front-end portfolio. That's how I call it, the front-end portfolio, wherein you also look at new platforms, look at new features, and so on. You prototype and study and so on. But you still did not take the decision to put it in the product. Right. So, so and, and that's why there is this caesure. That's what I call Is that good English, the caesure? A wall, almost right. a wall, where you say, okay, now we adopt you in the realization portfolio. That's why the word development is so so a little bit wobbly, because in both sides you develop you things. You develop, absolutely. You develop things. So, but but if you say, okay, here we have the front end, we have good ideas, or this and that, and we work on it, we spend time on it, but it 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 might fail, right? It might fail. These are too big to say, yeah, we realize it. So suppose you have a third party supplier. And you, you have decided really to realize a, a new product release of a certain thing. And you need something to do that from a third party. You make a contract with that third party. Would you accept any uncertainty? No, you would not. That guy will have the, the, the knife on the throat to deliver what we promised that, he, that we need. And at a certain day. And this is also what happened in automotive. It was the whole, the suppliers, they have to deliver. They have to promise exactly this is what you will give you on that date. This you cannot do. If you have uncertainties, you cannot, because then you are a gambler, right? So when you, you promise things, then, then you, you will die as a company. So you can imagine that companies like Bosch, for instance, right? They are a supplier to many car brands worldwide, the batteries, what have you, you know, many, many things. And they only have in their sales catalog what they can deliver. They have nothing in the sales catalog with uncertainties, nothing, zero. So if you are a car manufacturer, you go to Bosch and you order it, and you order it online, and this yeah. is what you get. Yeah, but you're very confident because they have a reputation of, of delivering what they say they're going to deliver, right? So it, yeah. it feeds itself, as opposed to supplier number two, who maybe doesn't have that same reputation. 
an ass is perhaps not the same discipline or the the, the history or the strength uh, of it. But internally, now if you translate that to an internal situation, if you are a category leader and we talk about risks and we say, okay, we, we decide to realize this product or this system or what have you in our portfolio. And we have, say, 50 new products, 50 in for one category. And then we look at, and one of the thing is, the reliability of supply is one of the criteria that they use. We didn't talk about criteria that's in the decision-making. In the rules of governance, you also have a list of criteria. You can see it as a scorecard almost, list of criteria that we take into account, that we have to take into account before we take the decision. And, and one of them is a very nice one, is uh, the reliability of production and also reliability of supply. And those two, they have to be... 100% reliable that they can deliver yeah. before they take the decision to just to do it. And so if I have 50 of them and they say, I can promise you reliability for these 30, but not for those 20, those 20 then, yeah, they have a problem. Yeah, yeah. The reliability of supply, <laughs> boy, that's a, <laughs> well, what, where we're at now. Right with uh, supply versus where we were, you know, yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the chip story is, of course. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one everybody goes to. But there's so many more. If if you look at portfolio management, so you have, as we said, as you have the process, you have the governance, and you have the data. Data should contain this kind of risks. So you cannot do that by hand all the time, right? So, so the database should have knowledge about the risk. You said something about quality of the data. So this is an issue everywhere. It's an issue everywhere. Some data are not complete, some not up to date, and sometimes people doubt about whether they are true, yes or no. And uh, as a linguist, I, I, I know about that, of course, right, also. Eh? Sure. If the data is not good, the governance is not implemented. A direct, a direct consequence of bad governance is bad data. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, Hoob, I'm going to maybe propose an alternative to that. You don't have good data today, and you're you're making decisions. You 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 are making decisions, and and maybe you're lucky, maybe you're you're wise, maybe you've got a feel, whatever. And as you get better data, you can make better decisions, right? But the, there's a there's a. I think the problem is for many companies is to get from the imperfect data we have today to really perfect data is a big jump, right? And I think that's where people come in still, and it should be in the governance, I agree, should be in the governance, but but people have to make decisions, right? Ideally, they know, hey, the data we're making this decision on is a little unstable. That would be the best case. But the worst case is they don't know it and the company can't get it. But to get 100% is a big step, right? So how do you get started with data? I don't think... 100% exist. So, okay. so it's, uh, it's yeah. more like if you are in the front end, you have to be aware front of the Front end, I agree. You have to be aware of the uncertainty. So yeah. our best guess in the yeah. front end is different from the best guess once we say we, we know a lot about it. So that is a normal, a, a normal thing. The point is a little bit that, that people sometimes are not aware of that. That's right. Because they have... Like in StageGate, Cooper, right? He has uh, five stages, blah, 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 and so on. And it goes and, 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 and he, he changes from 
preliminary to the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know one company that is doing that really. The companies don't they have that kind of process, but in practice that does not does Mm -hmm. not happen. So what you what you what you have is a front end of development. That project then stops. It's over and out. That project just doesn't continue. You don't have a product initiative. You do the front end of it and then you continue and you develop it. It's not how it works. In practice, in the front end you have new platforms are not products, new features, they are not products. And that more than 90% of the resources go to that. New technologies are not products. There are hardly new products at the front end. There are new technologies, features, and so on in the front end. And they are input in new releases in general of existing products. So you have a next release of a product because there is a new feature that we can deliver. We have a new technology that we can do. If we have a new platform, it's a bigger innovation, of course. It's a, it's a bigger thing because for a new platform, the production has to be, the production streets have to be redesigned. So it's quite something. So in, in terms of the quality of the decision making, if we know that we are in the front end, we know it's uncertain. We know we need science. We know we need to work together with others. And so, and we know that what we think is really estimation. Suppose that is five years or something, that front end, or two years, depends what it is. The more and more you come to an end, your estimations will be, will be better. But that is what we expect. So that is fine. That is normal. But when you then decide to go to the realization phase, that game is over. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is on that front end, don't try to be too perfect because you can't. No. I, I know a company, Covestro, for instance, that company, I know I can say that in the first uh, two stages where they have research and feasibility and so on, they don't do a business calculation. Right. They don't do the financials. Or nothing. It would stifle it. It would just, yeah, yeah. they don't do right. that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good, Hoop. Well, this has been a comprehensive uh, conclusion to what we started last time. Thanks for coming in and sharing your your perspective on this. I think it's uh, it ends up being like a mini a mini class here you've given us over this this episodes here. It's great stuff. So tell me where you're going with this. Yeah, I know you're 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 working on education around portfolio management, aren't you? Yes, I am. There are uh, requests coming from the market to do some training and education to professionalize the portfolio management in those companies. And and, then we talk about these things, of course, right? So, but these are courses like of four days or something like that. Right. They call it a portfolio management university to professionalize that master classes. I think that there is a movement going on that portfolio management is more in the center of the innovation management from the business side, collaborating with R&D instead of the pure R&D portfolio management. That movement is going on. And so there is a need for corporations to get better in it and to be sharper. It's basically the decision-making. The decision-making has to be sharper, I think. Yeah. Interesting to do, by the way. It's just yeah. nice, nice to do. You can join me if you want to. <laughs> Good. Well, or our listeners could reach out. If anybody out there is saying, oh, I'd like to, to get better at portfolio management, you know, reach out to Hoob because that's what he's, uh, he's, he's helping companies do. Yeah. Good, Hoob. Well, thanks for stopping by. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. I like it. Yeah, good. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon, Hoob. Thank you. Bye for now. 
And to our listeners, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we hope you have a great week ahead. And uh, take care, everybody. And bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.